Welcome everyone to the Health, Happiness and Planet podcast, where we explore different ways to boost your well-being, live a more fulfilling life and protect our planet. This podcast is sponsored by Wave Business Excellence Footprint, the digital training company that cares about your development and the well-being of our environment. You can find the courses for employees and for managers under the website www.wave-bef.com. In today's episode, we are going to speak about green and healthy homes and how we can reduce the chemical load on our body to reduce allergies, asthma and chemical sensitivities. I am thrilled to introduce you to my amazing guest, Andrew Pace from the USA. Andrew is a health home concierge and founder of the Green Design Center, a leading resource for homeowners and contractors looking to obtain products that are healthy and green and receive expert consulting advice on designing and building healthy green homes. Andrew is the host of the weekly Non-Toxic Environments podcast. He is a worldwide expert on green and healthy building products and he services customers and contractors from around the globe. As founder of the oldest healthy building supply company in the United States, Andrew has become one of the top educational experts dealing with the day-to-day concerns of those individuals who suffer from allergies, asthma, and chemical sensitivities. Andrew also launched a product called Degree of Green, which is a rating system that's being used by retailers and manufacturers to inform customers how to be aware of false, misleading greenwashing claims. He also has a formaldehyde release attenuation test which allows us to pinpoint the exact surfaces at home that are releasing dangerous levels of formaldehyde, which is a very dangerous substance that has negative effects on our health. It is important for us to raise our awareness on how to make our home a safe place. It is important to learn what are the alternatives so that we can make better choices for our home and live a healthier life. I'm thrilled to introduce you to this amazing guest, Andrew. Hi, Andrew, and welcome to the Health, Happiness, and Planet podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Juan. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. It's so great to have you here. I'm happy you took the time. One of the first questions, which is very intriguing, is to know what is your story and how did you get to where you are today? Because just looking at your background, that's something that not everybody just falls into automatically. Now, not like the typical like, oh, he's going to become a lawyer or he's going to be working in banking or whatever. You're really doing something very specific. How did you actually get to do that? Well, my story actually starts somewhat, as you said, I kind of fell into my original job. My family has owned a construction material supply business that dates back to the 1930s. And when I got out of school, I jumped into the family business. This was back in 1989. And so I was working in traditional commercial construction and commercial architecture, And a few years after into my career, I was working on a project where we supplied a water-based epoxy floor coating for a building in our home state. And we started getting phone calls from people living in the building, uh, the, the condos above, that they had a hard time breathing because of all the solvent smells. Even though we thought it was water-based, we thought that was strange. It's water-based. It's got to be safe still. But we kept on going, uh, and we completed the first coat, and we ended up having three of our own workers rush to the hospital because of inhalation complications. They couldn't breathe. And it turns out that we found out the hard way that a water-based coating just means that 50% of the liquid component is water and the rest was solvent. And so this is 1992 this occurred. So we all thought that water-based meant safe, you know, but again, learned the hard way. And so it pushed us to changing the way we do things. You know, here we had this business that was established for, you know, 50, 60 years, and we didn't want to ruin our reputation that we established over those, those years by selling these toxic products. So we actually found another manufacturer that could create healthier, safer coatings uh, to do the same job. And, and that just made us think, if this is good for this one job, wouldn't this be good for everybody? Wouldn't everybody want to use these paints and coatings in their homes? And so it really had this paradigm shift for us that we need to sell what we called 
healthy, common-sense building materials, and that started the whole thing. We opened up our store in 1993, selling toxin-free, common-sense building materials, and we've been you know, pushing a rock up that hill ever, ever since. <laughs> That's amazing, especially, yeah, in those days. I don't think there were many people who were speaking about that because nobody knew about getting like toxicity levels in your body, or if somebody was allergic, they're like, okay, then they're just allergic. Yeah, I'm a poor person. It just happens to be that they were born that way, and nobody mm -hmm. really started questioning further, yeah, what is the root cause? Why are certain things happening to certain people? And there must be something in their environment that is causing that. And it's so great that you actually went down that rabbit hole and started asking those questions and finding out scary things. And those scary things then led you to create that great business that you have today. Well, and this is before the internet, remember? Yeah. So wow. I actually had to go to the library and um, read books and find out phone numbers of manufacturers to call them and do real research on finding companies that understood what I was talking about. You are right. Way back then, even the, the word green was just a color. <laughs> it wasn't a way of life the way it is now. And so my customers back in the early 90s were people who had chemical sensitivity. They suffered from what's called sick building syndrome, essentially a term that was coined because of the problems in the built environment and the materials that were off-gassing. But the industry, the construction and design industry had absolutely no desire to learn about this because they thought that if we just ignore it, this whole trend will go away. And much to my surprise and delight, it never went away. It just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then the pandemic really focused this now. People around the world now realize that their home needs to be the safest space that they walk into throughout the day. That's got to be their sanctuary. So that the pandemic, the silver lining in that dark cloud was the understanding that we need to make our homes healthy. Yeah. Especially, I think, if we look at the statistics on how many children today are actually born already with so many allergies, mm -hmm. it's really scary to see the increase of people with allergies. That's really where such healthy homes come very practical, where you can really be a conscious consumer to know how am I going to build my next home and uh, what should it contain, what should it not contain. Therefore, my next question would be, what is the difference between a human healthy home and a green home? Because usually people, when they think green, they always say, okay, that means everything is good and everything is nice. Is that true? Is there a difference between a human healthy and a green home? That's a great question. And uh, let me answer it this way. So yes, the short answer is yes. There's a big difference between green and healthy. Mm -hmm. But here's why. In the mid to late 1990s, when the United States Green Building Council was formed, and they created what's called the LEED program, LEED is an acronym for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Mm -hmm. It was a building checklist that architects and engineers and building owners and contractors all over the world started using to determine the greenness, the eco-friendliness of their design and their construction. It focused heavily on energy efficiency and global environmental concerns. You know, global at the time it was global warming. Yeah. And so it was all about those two items. And then the use of things like recycled content or locally made to reduce carbon footprint. All those things are very important, of course. But what they kind of ignored was the human health aspect of things. I think it was just assumed that if you were to go green, as it were, that would also improve the health of the occupants. And we knew way back when that that wasn't the case, but the industry just went down that road sort of head first without any um, thought process on this. And, you know, what, what really what drove that was when the United States started regulating volatile organic compounds, the EPA registered VOCs because of their propensity to react with nitrogen and UV rays and create low-level smog. So it was totally about outdoor air pollution. Manufacturers of paints and stains and adhesives and so forth were being regulated by our EPA to reduce their VOC content. Manufacturers in their marketing decided to sort of play upon people's emotions and say, well, these products are green and eco-friendly and healthy, but they didn't say healthy for who. It was healthier for the environment, of course. And so people just got the 
impression that, well, if it's low VOC, zero VOC, and eco-friendly, it's got to be healthy for me. And that's not the case at all. There are plenty of ingredients that are found in, in these paints and coatings that are highly, highly toxic for humans that are not VOCs. And so this is what started the process back then. And again, I think it started as a way just to sell material. And now, all these years later, people just assume low and zero VOC means healthy for humans, and that's absolutely not correct. So that's where the disconnect started, and it's just been magnified over the years. So huge difference between just being eco-friendly and green and actually being healthy. Wow. That, again, brings us a lot to the terminology of greenwashing, yeah, where people yes. just try to sell their products and just try to sell certain services just to make people think, hey, I'm doing something good here. But then they don't mm -hmm. really define, okay, good for whom? Yeah, again, <laughs> good for mm -hmm. what? And again, as a consumer, we really need to be aware about that because no matter what we look for, if it's building a new home or if it's just getting our groceries, we just get so deceived by marketing companies who just try to do all possible to uh, get the consumer to buy. That's the sole purpose. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Sometimes I was, Unfortunately, you yeah. are correct. Yes. <laughs> oh, sometimes I think, well, there should be, or maybe there is, I'm not aware of those companies yet, but there should be like a marketing company who says we will only support those companies who are saying the truth about their products and not anybody who just comes, hey, market that. I'll pay you and do whatever you can just to get it sold. And have you heard about that? If there's any such marketing companies out there? You know, I, I think the, the problem that exists there is, um, and we've found this out now in the last several years, again, with the pandemic and other things, it depends on whose truth you're referring to. And <laughs> I believe that all of us have this inherent ability to have common sense, but Some people just don't allow that to help them make their decision process. And so you have to trust your gut feelings. You have to use common sense. But unfortunately, people are so influenced by marketing, whether you know it or not, we're influenced by this marketing. And you have to step back and take a more, I guess, measured approach yeah. to how you make your decisions. You know, The biggest difference I find in between a, a green home and a healthy home is, you know, a green home is all about energy efficiency and carbon footprint and, you know, doing your part to save the planet, which is great. But a healthy home to me is a home that is encompassing all aspects of what it is to be healthy, you know, all the way down to mental health. And I believe that that's a huge part of this. Every morning you want to wake up and walk into your kitchen and look at your kitchen floors or your cabinets and just say, I love this place. You know, it feels good. And if it feels good, that's a healthy home attribute. This is something that is different per person, of course. Uh, and it's something that can't be regulated by any government. And you can't just buy that off the shelf. You have to create that. And it really requires us to get down to our those true feelings and common sense. Exactly. What would you say are the main toxic offenders in most homes today? And what does that mean for our health? So in anybody's home, whether it's a, an existing home or a, a home that's under construction, 90% of the toxic or hazardous chemical emissions inside of that home will come from the things you see and touch on a daily basis. In order of importance, number one is the flooring material choices. Flooring has the biggest chance to affect the indoor air quality because it's a large expanse, of course. And it's usually very thick, so you have off-gassing that lasts for a very long time. Carpeting is probably the worst thing you can put in your house. Wow. Yeah, I've heard a lot about carpets. Once you start really digging deeper, you know, how are carpets produced, you really get goosebumps. Yeah, I have actually personally tested carpeting that's over 30 years old that still off-gasses toxic levels of formaldehyde. Wow. Yeah. And so carpeting's getting better. I think manufacturers are doing a better job, but instead of overtly adding formaldehyde as an ingredient, it's used in ways that hides it in the process. Mm -hmm. And so manufacturers will say, well, we don't add any formaldehyde to our carpet, but yet it still tests that it has it. Mm -hmm. So they have to admit, well, it's actually in the dye or it might be in the backing that we bought from somebody else or in a treatment or something like that. And so you just got to be more careful. I like to just avoid carpet unless you're buying one of the brands out there that is completely synthetic chemical free. And there's only a couple of brands in the world like that. Yeah. Then I would say just avoid it to be safe. Yeah. Okay. Number two would be your wall finishes in your house, uh, all your painted walls and ceilings. 
Again, large expanse of material in the home, so large potential for off-gassing. The average zero VOC water-based paint will actually off-gas for two and a half to four and a half years after it reaches a full cure. Wow, that's a long time. Third would be your cabinetry, your woodwork, any of your doors and moldings and so forth, uh, mainly because of the stains and finishes that are used that are, are very unsafe. Yeah. And then finally, it would be your your own personal furnishings, your furniture, window treatments, area rugs, things like that. So those four areas are the biggest offenders in most people's homes. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, it's just a matter of choosing wisely for you know, air purification and other goods in your home. So... I'm not so good in the home remodeling sector, but um, if somebody says, okay, I've used the wrong paint the last time that they painted our walls, would it be enough if they say, I'm going to buy now a better paint that it's less toxic and just paint over what I already have? Is that going to really protect it? Or do you need to treat the walls in a different way before you put less toxic paint on it? Very good question. And it's possible. Yes, uh, there is a brand of paint on the market. It's called AFM Safe Coat. It's made in California. AFM Safe Coat was developed over 30, almost 40 years ago now, specifically for people who have chemical sensitivity, allergies, asthma. Their paints can be used over existing paints and it will seal up the off-gassing of those existing paints. Yes. Wow. It's the only brand that I know of in the world that can do that. Yeah, That's amazing. So if somebody would want to look for this kind of paint, what is it that they need to search for? What would you recommend? I would just search for the name. It's AFM okay. Safe Coat. And Safe Coat is uh, S-A-F-E-C-O-A-T. We are a distributor of it here in Wisconsin, yeah. but it's available in locations all throughout the U.S. and in locations around the world. Yeah, perfect. Well, it's just amazing to know that already some solutions are out there because many times people highlight what problems we have today, but uh, sometimes we think, well, what can I do now and as an alternative? Yeah, that's good. Right. I, I have been known to cause people to feel a little worried about what the space <laughs> that they're in. I don't want to do that. That's not my intention. Yeah. My intention is to point these things out. Yeah. But then, as you say, here's a solution for it. Yeah. You know, chemical sensitivity, sick building syndrome has been around since 1970s, as we know what it's like. And because of the fact that it's been around for so long, we have all these people who would, we would call our canaries in the mine shaft. These are those who are far more sensitive than the rest of us, and they can sense that something is wrong a lot quicker mm. and at lower thresholds than anybody else. And these folks have been suffering for years because of their sensitivity to the built environment. It was called a 20th century disease yeah. for a while too, because you know these are people who just couldn't tolerate anything in this new world of technology and building materials and so forth. But again, the silver lining, the saving grace in this is that because of their suffering all these years, they've given us hope that we can make materials and find materials that will be safe enough for them. And if it's safe for them, it's safe for everybody. And so, you know, every time I talk to somebody who has chemical sensitivity, which is every single day, I've worked with over 30,000 people in my career that have chemical sensitivity. And every time I talk to somebody, I thank them for living their life as best as they can and providing education to me and to others on how we can make things better. Amazing. There could be solutions that are just so simple. My wife, she's a little bit sensitive to odors. And uh, mm-hmm. for example, a lot of people use air refresheners at home. Yes. And oh my gosh, yeah, that's just like, you know, you're just spraying chemicals and toxins everywhere in your home. Yep. And they just think, hey, this is great because it's just giving a nice smell in my environment. I think a lot of malls are doing that when goes into specific oh, yeah. shops and you're like, oh, wow, that smell is so intense that my wife, she immediately walks out of those shopping malls mm-hmm. because she just gets a headache after a couple of minutes. And that's why if I think about how many people just use it in their own homes, that's just a simple fix that they can say, okay, let me just get rid of these guys. So just spraying every couple of hours, the aroma. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point there because that's actually an example I'll use in a lot of my presentations. People who walk through a department store or a mall and they get a headache because of the fragrances, that is a chemical sensitivity. It's been estimated that about 25% of the world's population has a chemical sensitivity, whether they know it or not. Wow. 
There's a lot of people who just say, I, I want to avoid this part of the store because I know how much it's going to smell. They would never admit that they have a chemical sensitivity. They would just say that those smells annoy them, right? Yeah. Or if you've ever used a certain type of soap and you got a rash, yeah. you know, contact dermatitis because of something you used, that's a chemical sensitivity. It's your body saying, I don't like this. Yeah. They're rejecting it. And so... I don't think that that number is increasing worldwide. Some people have said that chemical sensitivity now is on the increase because of just the way we all live our lives. And I would say, I don't think it's actually on the increase. I think it's the same as before, but we now know more about it and we recognize it earlier and we are willing to admit that we have a problem more so than before. And so what your wife goes through that's what a lot of people go through every single day. And now imagine having what's called multiple chemical sensitivity, MCS, where it's not just walking through the perfume aisle that causes a problem. It is coming in contact with somebody who might have put on perfume yesterday and it's still on their clothes or it's still on their skin. That's enough to send them into anaphylactic shock. Wow. That's what severe chemical sensitivity is all about. And so I've worked with plenty of those customers in my time, and we can actually get them to a point where they can live in a healthier home. It's a process. It requires a lot of work on their end to train themselves to not react severely to things, but it is possible. Yeah. It's really good to know that we can get to the root cause now, because before, if somebody has a headache or a migraine, the doctor will be like, it could be maybe you have more stress at work. It could be maybe because you're dehydrated. It could be maybe, 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 but you never can really find out what is the root cause of my headache that I get regularly. And now one can really say, hey, maybe it's really that sensitivity that I have. And due to those air fresheners in the mall on, on the previous day, so one can now really start pinpointing with more accuracy. Yeah. So my next question would be, if somebody is already in their home and uh, they do not have yet the budget to say, I'm going to make my full remodeling and I'm going to change the floors and, and put new paint in all the walls, what could be the first step that you would recommend them to do? If it's just, let's say, on a low budget and step-by-step -step approach. Yeah, I think people believe, unfortunately, they think that in order to make an improvement in their home, at all. It's like all or nothing. Honestly, whatever step you take is a good step. But the first step, the least expensive step is to get rid of all of your cleaning materials. Mm -hmm. You know, you go into a utility closet in somebody's home and they've got 17 different cleaning materials and everything is specialized. You know, you use this to clean your oven and you use this to clean your floors and this to clean your countertops. Get rid of it all. Yeah. Buy something that is a one all-purpose cleaner that doesn't have any harsh chemicals, no synthetic fragrances, and doesn't leave any residue. There are products out there like Branch Basics, the AFM uh, Safe Choice Multipurpose Cleaner, Shackley Basic H. There's a bunch of products out there. You can even make your own with water, vinegar, and baking soda, and that's perfectly acceptable. If you get rid of all the cleaning materials, and then, which is very inexpensive to do and buy either one concentrate that's non-toxic or make your own, you're going to get rid of a lot of chemical exposure that you would normally have by using these materials throughout your house. So that's a huge improvement in very, very inexpensive. Wow, that's fantastic. Especially if I think most of those products, all those chemicals that are in there, I just question if they're even tested yet yeah, to see what effects does that have on a human being. Uh, I think there was uh, some documentary I saw a couple of years back. I think it's called The Human Experiment, mm -hmm. where they were seeing that people who clean hotels and who have a lot of contact with these uh, cleaning materials, that they had a lot of issues with their health. And they were thinking, well, maybe are those products that they're using, they were drilling deeper onto that question. And they found out that all those products that they were using were out there in the market, but nobody really tested if the products were safe or not. They only start testing mm -hmm. once people start reporting that somebody got ill, somebody uh -huh. got uh, seized or whatever and then they say, mm, then maybe it's now time that we start checking out if there's anything wrong with that product and that was for me something so shocking because i always thought whatever is out there in the market and if it's on the shelves for sale then it's naturally going to be safe for everybody and that was my wrong mindset and that was like one of those aha <laughs> moments for me 
<laughs> well, I'll say this, and here's another one of these scary moments, but I'll try to make it less scary. I don't know if I can. <laughs> All right. So here in the U.S., we have about 92,000 chemicals that have been approved for use for building materials, home goods, cleaning materials, and so forth. 92,000 chemicals. Out of those chemicals, about 3% have been tested for their toxicological effects on humans. Wow. That's it. 3%. Well, I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Now, if somebody comes up with a new chemical, they want to submit to the EPA to be tested and approved. The process is you submit it to the EPA and they have to test it within, I think it's 90 days. They have a 90-day window to test it to say yes or no. Here's the kicker. After 90 days, if they don't have the opportunity to test it, they rubber stamp approve. Wow. There's a three-year backlog, I believe, in testing, so which means every single chemical that gets submitted for testing and approval automatically will get approved. And to your point, the only way that these chemicals ever get removed from the market is if there's enough class action lawsuits suing the manufacturers because it made people sick. Yeah. And out of 92,000 chemicals that we have, less than a dozen have ever been taken off the market. Wow, that is definitely scary. I think we can categorize this episode as a scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the comfort factor is you don't have to have a chemistry degree. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to completely remodel your house to yeah. make it healthier. Just making small improvements. When you do want to repaint a room, just use a safer paint. If you do have to buy something for the home, just do a little research, ask an expert. Yeah. You know, give some advice on what the healthiest way to go is. As we slowly make these improvements, not only are we improving our own lives, but we're also telling the manufacturers and the vendors out there that these are the products that we want to buy. Yeah. And hopefully that means that they'll start making more for us to have access to. Exactly. I really like that approach because, as you said, I think that's the false understanding that many people think, oh, now I need to do this whole remodeling all at once and, oh, how much that's going to cost. And then people just get that rejection towards the idea and then it, yes. it maybe not even do it. And that's the sad part because anybody can start doing it as of today. And as you said, simple steps of just removing things that are toxic in your home. That's the first step. If I think about the next thing that could break down in the house that I might need, then that could be, again, the next opportunity to say, now I'm going to increase the healthiness of my home environment. For example, if I just think of my own home, probably the next thing I could get in the future would be a new sofa. My mm -hmm. sofa is already quite old. So if I would want to get a new one, then that's where my questioning will start coming in. What would you advise me when I go out there and to look for a new sofa? What could be the questions I would ask furniture company? Right. So I, I think that uh, furniture is one of those market sectors that's starting to clean itself up a bit. And so I would look for furniture that has a independent third-party certification program called Green Seal, uh, Green Guard Gold. Mm -hmm. Green Guard Gold certified furniture means that that furniture will emit less than seven parts per billion of formaldehyde. That's an extremely low amount. That's considered really at the safe level. And if you can find furniture that's certified Green Guard Gold, it tells you that this manufacturer is making choices in their you know, raw material selection process that eliminates that from the equation. Yeah. So that's one thing I'd look at. I like to use furniture that's made with organic fabrics because that also means that the material is not true with any pesticides or any chemical additives. Yeah. You know, as you talked about before, folks who want to change everything in the house at once because they feel that's the only way to go. One of the great things about having a 30-year career in one thing specific is I can actually look back at my own career and say, to talk about how I was personally 29 years ago, you know, a year after I started my business, I was so frustrated because people weren't switching over to these products immediately. You know, once you tell the world that this is toxic, this is safe, you would think everybody goes to the safe product, right? That was my <laughs> mantra 29, 30 years ago. Now, after this, after 30 years, I can say, you know, it's a process. It takes a long time. A big ocean vessel doesn't turn on a dime, you know. <laughs> it takes a long time to turn. And we're trying to change the attitude of buyers all over the world 
it takes a long time. So therefore, don't think that it's going to be a vast improvement immediately in your home, in your own personal environment, especially you know the younger generations think that everything happens instantaneously. It's the internet approach. It's the cell phone approach. Everything's at your fingertips. And if it doesn't happen fast enough, you get frustrated. Yeah. It is a long-term play. It takes a long time. But doesn't mean it's not worth it. It's definitely worth it because as you age, all those small improvements you've made over the years, you'll be very thankful when you're when you're my age. You'll say, boy, I'm in my 50s now, and I'm glad I started making the changes 30 years ago. So true. I think a lot of consumers, if they need something, they go out there and usually look at the lowest price. For example, if they want to buy furniture, mm -hmm. if they want to buy paint for the wall right. or new floors, I would say the normal consumer, they will not start searching through what is the healthiest or what is the greenest. They, they might first just check, okay, what is the price difference between one product and the next? And then they just right. go for the cheapest one or if it looks nicer or more shiny or whatever. But I think now the future consumer, which is also my hope, which is the same hope that you had 30 years ago, that everybody will just switch from having that old habit of just looking at the price range and then making the decision to being the yeah. future and new consumer that they will say, I'm not just going to look at the price. That's just like maybe third or fourth priority. I'm first going to see what kind of toxicity does this product have? Is it good for my home? Is it good for the environment? What happens with that product once the life cycle is over? How is the disposal of it? And all that kind of questions that usually in the past we would never make. And yes, I totally agree that that new habit It's something that you cannot just go from today to tomorrow. It's a process yeah? and you need to digest it. You need to think about that idea and it just takes time to make that shift. It takes time to make the shift and I also think it needs to be personal. I have found that most people who make the switch to make their purchasing decisions on the health of the occupants, usually it's because of a personal experience of something making them sick. Yeah. If you take just any individual off the street who has no desire to buy based upon you know anything we've talked about today, if all of a sudden they end up with a sensitivity to something because of a massive exposure to a pesticide or a chemical, it's going to be that aha moment that they need. They'll say, okay, well, now I get it. This affects me personally, or this affects my child. That's that personal experience that sometimes people need to sort of get them to understand that this truly is something they need to to deal with. Correct. And that's, I think, probably like the basics of change management. Mm -hmm. Anybody who takes a change management course, they will see that if the need for change is higher than the resistance for change, then change will happen. Yeah, and that's exactly yes. that situation. Yeah, Once they really mm -hmm. notice, oh, I'm getting allergies or I cannot breathe well, I get headaches, the need for change is just increasing, increasing. And it's okay, yes. what's hindering me from doing something different in my home? Very simple example. Most people don't like to go to the dentist. Usually they try to keep the date and appointments with the dentist as far away as possible and forget about it. <laughs> But as soon as they get a toothache, yeah, they're like, okay, I need to see my dentist tomorrow, if possible, even today. And that's because, again, the need for change is much, much higher than your resistance of saying, oh, do I really need to go there? And the same applies for making our home much, much safer and healthier for everyone living in it. I'm very curious about your business. So could you tell us more about the Green Design Center and what services do you offer? Sure. So I started the company all these years ago to be a resource for everybody and anybody who is interested in making their homes healthier, whether you are building a new home or you're just wanting to repaint one room of the house. We want to have materials at the ready that will allow you to do that the healthiest way possible. So first and foremost, we are a material supplier and we have our own retail stores here locally, but we also have a very, very strong online presence, which again, throughout the pandemic has been just an invaluable resource for people all over the world. So that's my main company. Several years ago, I started moving away from the material supply side of the company and concentrating on the consulting. And so this is what I do probably 90% of my day is I work with people all over the world who are either building homes, remodeling homes, they live in an existing home they're trying to make healthier, or I even have a lot of clients that are looking for safe places to rent, mm -hmm. or maybe they're buying a home and they want me to go through online listings to look at the pictures and describe what I see that they need to improve. So I help anybody who is trying to make their homes healthier and they're looking for somebody with common sense recommendations, easy approach, 
because I come from the world of construction and architecture, I speak that language. So I, I work really well with professional firms and I kind of act as a liaison between the consumer and the architect so that the consumer can get exactly what they want and uh, the architect doesn't really push back or the builder doesn't push back. And so that's really most of my business now is working on that and helping folks all over the world. And then, of course, I have my own podcast. I do podcasts like this, which is fantastic. I love educating people. It's really has become the passion of my career. That's so important what you're doing for us. That's why I'm really grateful for you having started this business 30 years ago and going this direction. I think you probably also have an invisible doctor degree because you know about so many different types of allergies and, and things that people can get on their skin and eczema and all those stories that you probably heard for many, many times with all your previous clients. Yeah. And that's, I think it's such a good feeling that one, through the experience and through the skills that you have attained in the last decades, that you can really help these people with their problems. Yeah, it's been a blessing, honestly, to be able to learn so much from so many people. And then I retain that information and try to help the next person that comes yeah. along. And, and so that's, again, it's, it's, it's a passion of my career. And, and um, I couldn't be more proud of what uh, me and the whole team here in the company does. Amazing. And there was something I uh, that caught my eye when I was going through your website. And could you tell us a bit more about your product rating system called Degree of Green? Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking about that. Um, many years ago, you actually talked about this uh, a little while ago, many years ago when manufacturers started making all these types of products and trying to sell them based upon these, these fancy words and colorful words and so forth, it created a situation called greenwashing. And greenwashing is essentially, again, using words and descriptions to make people believe that a product might be more eco-friendly or healthy than it really is. So I would get consumers calling me and saying, I heard that bamboo flooring is green. Is that more green than cork flooring? Or is one of those more green than, you know, just wood flooring or what have you? And so I would, of course, describe why each one is considered green, which why, why it's not. But then I needed a way to educate my own staff. And so I created a checklist. There are 27 reasons why you can call a product or a service green. When you boil them all down, there's three categories, human health, environmental health, and sustainability. Each one of those 27 reasons falls into one of those three categories. Now, when a customer comes into the showroom or calls me and says, we want to build a house that's green, we ask a series of questions. Unless they can outright tell us you know, what their degree of green is, we'll ask them a series of questions. Maybe they don't know. Maybe just this is what they have heard and this is what they want to strive for, but they're not sure exactly why. We want to get them to tell us without having to tell us what's most important. Is the health, human health of you and your family in the home, is that the most important goal here? If that's the case, that I'm going to uh, gravitate towards the products that I know are healthier for the human occupants. I had a customer many years ago who came into the showroom and she said, I've been on the earth for 55 years. I've been a burden to the earth for 55 years. I want to remodel a home using nothing but recycled, repurposed, renewed materials. That's vastly different than the first customer who wants to build a healthy home. And then the next customer walks in and he says, I want to build a home with the lowest carbon footprint. Three completely different reasons why they're called green, yeah. but they're all correct in their own way. Yeah. And so I use this now and our staff uses this and even some manufacturers use this now to help people understand what direction these fall into. Instead of just lumping everything as being green, yeah. we're actually saying this is human friendly, this is sustainable, this is environmentally friendly. Which one's more important for you? That's how we'll, we'll travel. Yeah, so it's really very customized. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what is your most favorite healthy home project you have done so far? Wow. It's a great question. I would say there's two of them that come to mind. The first one is one of my very first projects that I can remember. I think this was back in 1995 or 96. I remember it was a whole house project. It was for a customer who lived in one room of the house for about three years. And that, that room was completely covered in aluminum foil, wow. floors, walls, ceilings, okay. because she couldn't tolerate the off-gassing from anything in the house. Wow. She was secluded into that room for three years. And between her and I and then her husband and I, 
we chose all the materials to remodel that house in a healthy way so she could then move into the rest of the home. And she's living in that home still today. That project taught me so much. And that's the extreme of what some people deal with. The next project is a project that just got completed a few months ago. And this is sort of the how we've gone from there to here, right? The project that was completed a few months ago is a brand new home that was built specifically for somebody who has severe, severe sensitivities and other health issues. This home was built according to our specifications, materials we recommended. The builder was on board and said, yes, let's do this. It's a really nice home. It is a luxury home, you know, over 3,000 square feet, well-appointed And not only is she living in that home today, but I have another extremely sensitive client that toured that home after completion, and she wants to build one too, but she was always afraid to walk into a new home. She walked into the home and started laughing because she was so happy that she could actually walk into a new built home that didn't affect her. So this is telling me like where it came from and where we are today. We can actually build a home using all new materials, beautiful high-end home, with all of the attributes that that somebody would want, creature comforts and so forth, that's completely safe for them. So that gives me tons of hope for the future. That's so amazing. You should probably also go into the car industry business because I think there's also so many toxins. Every time people think, oh, the beautiful thing of getting a new car and you have that smell of the new car and people usually associate it with status and with having a nice new vehicle. But in reality, for many people, that could be the biggest nightmare because they're just in this one big toxic soup from all the glues and all the plastics and everything. You're exactly correct. And matter of fact, car makers actually have a staff of people who do nothing but ensure that the new car smell is their smell. Wow. It's a science. We actually worked with a car company many years ago, uh, BMW. Oh, okay. Now, in Germany, they have a zero tolerance rule against formaldehyde in automobiles. You know, this is back in the mid-2000s. And so they have a zero tolerance rule against formaldehyde in any vehicles that's sold in Germany. BMW started producing their sport utility vehicles, their X-series, but all those are made here in the United States, and they are then shipped to Germany. Well, they made a couple of test vehicles, shipped them to Germany, and they said rejected. And that's because those vehicles had one wood component left in there. It was the trunk deck that you lifted up to get the spare tire. That was made of a Malaysian plywood, and it was off-gassing tremendous amounts of, of formaldehyde. So we worked with their engineering department, and we, through AFM Safecoat, uh, provided two different products that they could use to finish those trunk pieces to completely eliminate the formaldehyde. It worked. We ended up selling them thousands of gallons of materials to finish these products, and the German government said, yeah, no problem at all. And so we know it works. (laughs) So it also goes to show there are some companies out there that do care, but to your point, yeah, I mean, that new car smell is nothing nothing safe, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. So one really has to, again, as a conscious consumer, stop that old habit of saying, oh, that's that nice smell of my new car, thinking, okay, that's right. something, it's probably not good for my health now, and I better opt for something that does not smell that strong when I buy it. <laughs> buy a good used yeah. car. You know, and you'll eliminate probably 90% of the chemical off-gassing because it's already taken place. Is a car that has one year of age, is it good enough or better two years? What would you recommend would be the... You know, off-gassing can occur for a very long period of time, but I would say if you get something that's about two years old or older, you'll probably be in a much better position. Okay, that's good. Then I'm still happy with my car that I have so far. Because <laughs> be- yep. before I used to change my car more frequently. And now the car I'm driving right now, it's the one I have the longest that I've ever had a car. And I'm always thinking, oh, maybe I should get another one. But then I start thinking of all these things that we spoke about today. And I said, right. no, maybe not. And I'm still so happy with it. Yeah. And before I used to be very impatient. I was like, okay, I already have that car right. now, two, three years. It's time to change it. And now it's just like my total mindset just shifted. With this yeah. car, I'm like already three times longer than any other car that I've had. And I said, I don't want to change it. I don't want to get now a new one. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's good intuition you have there. I would stick with what you got. (laughs) And one of my final questions, when you are doing that healthy home, do you also touch the topics of EMFs as well? We are quite a bit. Matter of fact, um, you know, we talked this whole time about chemical off-gassing, but electromagnetic fields and then mold 
in homes. Those two topics have really taken off as being almost at the same level of discussion as chemical off-gassing. So I'll try to tie a, a bow around this whole thing. You know, it's people who have, I mentioned before, 25% of the population has a chemical sensitivity. Um, several years back, it was discovered that what's called the HLADR gene, HLADR gene, it's a gene that 25% of the, of the population carries that is more predisposed to have negative reactions to mold. The more we learn about mold and how it affects the body and what it can cause, the more that I am learning that if you have this HLADR gene and you have a propensity to react to mold, it's probably the same 25% of people that actually have a chemical sensitivity. It's probably the same amount of people that have an electromagnetic field sensitivity because it all reacts sort of the same way within the body. And so, yes, these are all becoming very common discussions that we have with clients. And again, there are ways to mitigate and to deal with that. I would say from a standpoint of electromagnetic fields, the easiest thing we can all do in our life is to either you know ditch the cell phone or if you have to use it, use an earbud, yeah. right? Or hardwire it. You know, you can get adapters that hardwire your cell phone or your tablet to an old-fashioned Ethernet cable. Okay. And so you're not utilizing Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is, is very problematic for people who have chemical sensitivity. Wow. I mean, for example, now in Europe, we have a lot of those phone contracts that you have unlimited uh, mobile data usage. So a lot mm -hmm. of people, like, they don't even need their Wi-Fi router anymore at home because they say, okay, I don't want to have any more Wi-Fi. I'll just be using my mobile data. Yeah. I think probably Wi-Fi is one of those things that might just die one of these days, just like cassette players. It might. <laughs> yeah, but then we also have to be concerned about the radio frequency waves coming from the cell True. towers, right? And But that's where you can actually then hook that up to, you can actually buy routers that will accept that cell uh, signal, yeah. and then you can hardwire that. Okay. So there are ways to mitigate this. Unfortunately, with technology also comes a downside. And so we as a people need to decide at what point is fast enough, fast enough, yeah. and say maybe at this, let's just stop it here, and let's deal with what we got. Yeah. And for those people who are scared about 5G, is there a way to somehow, because some people say, oh, look at that, the building next to me has a 5G antenna. Yeah, what do I do? Yeah. I'm, is there anything they can do about it? Well, as with a lot of things, the biggest problem with 5G is it affects our, our sleeping patterns. And so I would recommend that if you have the ability to buy what's called a, um, it's a mesh canopy that you can put over your bed. It's kind of like an insect canopy, but it's designed specifically to block yeah. um, cell waves. Cell waves will interrupt our sleeping pattern. It's very difficult for us to get into good REM sleep if being inundated with a signal, an RF signal. So we need that six to eight hours a night of restorative sleep in order to recover. And so I would say if you can make your bedroom the most, the safest room of the home, then do that. Yeah. You know, concentrate on that, use a canopy. There are other materials you can use to block the cell signals that are coming through glass. You know, these little things will make a huge difference. Very good. Well, then I think I've even seen some of those products on Amazon. Yeah, because I was Googling oh, yeah. that the other day. And actually, since we scheduled this podcast, I was really going through my mind, what are all the things I can optimize here at home? <laughs> that was one of them. So it's it's really good to see that there are really solutions out there for anyone who wants to make the improvements. One final thing I just wanted to comment about when I was just thinking about our conversation about those chemicals. Sometimes they say, as a consumer, you should look at what kind of chemicals are used in which products. But is it true? I'm not so 100% sure. That's why I wanted to see your point of view on this. Is it true that if some companies say, well, if certain products or certain ingredients are not good for the consumer, we will just market it under the uh, clause of trade secrets. So that means you do not even see that toxin in that product. And it's uh, just covered within the trade secret agreement. And therefore, the government cannot even test that product if it has that toxin in it. Is that true? That is true. And so... Keep in mind that there is no governmental agency that tests products per se. They test ingredients. Okay. And then once those ingredients are tested, if it isn't a product, but it makes up less than 1% of the volume, even if it's considered hazardous or dangerous, it does not have to be listed on the ingredients list. It doesn't have to be on the safety data sheet. 
If it's part of the trade secret, it does not have to be listed. And so then it becomes buyer beware. And that's scary because I think that as we've discussed now, you know, it's very difficult for buyers to be aware of these things. And we need to ask more questions. We need to take advice from those who have used things and maybe suffered from them, but learned a lesson and they can be a great teacher to us. So true. Well, the time went by so fast. I could probably just ask you so many other questions, but I'm so, so happy for the time that you invested for us in this podcast. I'm sure this is very valuable to the listeners. And one of my final questions is, where can my listeners find you? Thank you. Uh, best way to find me is through my main website, which is thegreendesigncenter.com. From there, you will find links to not only the products that we sell, but to the podcast that I do. It's called Non-Toxic Environments and to the consulting. And so even if you have a quick 15-minute question about replacing an exterior door or putting in a new sink, these are things that I deal with on a daily basis. Uh, you know, no job is too small. No question is too unimportant. Yeah. You know, it's every question is important to people. So please uh, utilize it as much as you can. Excellent. And, and that's really the plus side of being a consultant in these topics because you do not have to have only clients who are sitting in the U.S. You can have clients from all around the world and they just have to adjust mm -hmm. to specific time zones and they can get the information right. and very valuable information for their health and their well-being for themselves as well as for their families. That is so amazing. And I will be putting all of those links you just mentioned right now into the show notes. So if anybody cannot take notes at this moment while listening to the podcast, they can get those links from the show notes. And well, Andrew, thank you so much for your help and for the time that you dedicated here. Great information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Bye, Andrew. Bye-bye. <laughs> this was an amazing conversation. I hope this episode with Andrew has made you curious about the environment inside our home and what we can do to improve it so that we do not negatively impact our health and the health of our loved ones. I encourage you to pick at least one action point from today's episode and see how it positively impacts your health and energy. Tell me what you have tried and what outcome you have experienced and tag me on Instagram. My account is health underscore happiness underscore planet. In my case, I will start making better questions about everything I have inside of my home and think whether it produces allergies or increases the toxic load in the bodies of everybody living with me in this sacred space. I will also be more mindful when purchasing something for my home and try to reduce the chances of not falling into the trap of greenwashing. After this episode, I realized even more the importance of us being conscious consumers. In the show notes, you will find all the links on where to find Andrew and how to contact him. This podcast was sponsored by Wave Business Excellence Footprint, a digital training company that cares about your career development, your personal development, and the well-being of this planet we call home. On the website www.wave-bef.com, you will find a total of 22 courses. Seven of those are designed for managers and 15 courses are designed for employees who strive to become the leaders of tomorrow. I value your feedback and I would love to hear from you. Please rate, subscribe and share this episode with those whom you think will profit from this information. Your support means the world to me and it motivates me to keep on producing content that adds value to your life. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Big hugs everyone!